Um, so we're at, we're in Acts chapter, I mean Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 20 through 37. Let me read this and then I'll pray. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop, which with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away, and likewise let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you again for this beautiful morning, Lord, to gather, to worship you, to celebrate. Lord, celebrating our, our salvation, celebrating our unity together, and celebrating, Lord, your creation and everything that you do. We are thankful. We want to praise you this morning. We want to lift your name. We also, Lord, want to glean from your word, understand your, uh, your word and instructions to us, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts uh, to see the important uh, truth that is in this passage, Lord. Lord, we, for some people here, we, we desperately ask, Lord, that your power would raise the dead. Lord, that your power would raise the spiritually dead in our lives, Lord. Those who do not know you, those who are far from you, who whose eyes cannot see you. They cannot see the gospel for what it is. They cannot worship you because they do not see you and see your kingdom amongst us, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would raise the dead. We pray, Lord, that you would lift them out of their deadness and their darkness, and Lord, that you would bring in new life, that you would resurrect them, that you would bring guys to their eyes, they would see you and they would not be blind anymore, that they would not be deaf to your word. We pray for that. Lord, we pray for, for Jacob, Hargit's uncle. Lord, we pray for him. He needs the power in his life. Healing, Lord. But also, Lord, we pray that you would open his heart to the truth of the gospel, Lord. He would call you Father, 
before you bring them home. Lord, we pray for so many people in the world that are dying from this horrible virus, Lord. Many in India that are dying every day who do not know you, Lord. Who have been living their entire life worshiping statues and idols that do not care about them whatsoever. Lord, that you would reveal your power to them during this horrible situation, Lord. Not many would come to know you because of COVID. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I am a big fan of Pilgrim's Progress. I always go back to it. Um, I read it quite often. And for those who have not read it, should read it. Um, and uh, so I'm using a, a quote uh, from, that, uh, from that book, from that great story by John Bunyan uh, as a title here. Flee the city of destruction through the wicker gate. Through the wicker gate. If you're like, I've never read Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Christian was the character, the main character in the story. He lives in the city of destruction, which is the city of the world. It's the place that is going to receive God's judgment. An evangelist comes to Christian and says, escape, flee the city of destruction through the wicker gates. And he heeds this warning and goes. And the wicker gate is the, the gospel. It's the truth. It's the salvation. And he enters through that and he is saved and he is delivered from destruction. That same warning, that same truth is said and, 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 and very much spoken in this passage to the current audience here, the, the audience, the immediate audience here in Luke 17, which was the Pharisees especially, but also it is also the same warning on the world that we live in today. Flee the city of destruction and enter through the wicker gate. Uh, Dr. Moeller, or Al Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, wrote a very short little article that was in a book that was published by Southern Seminary on evangelism. And the title of that small little, little essay, if you want to call it that, was called American Experiences, Unwilling to Believe in Judgment. And what he talks about is, is that Americans, because of their ideals, and their ideals are autonomy, fairness, and equality, it doesn't really fit very well with God's way. And that Americans, uh, in a sense, have this autonomy, this, that they're unfettered captains of their own souls, and that for Americans have this belief and this, this kind of drivenness uh, about them, that they can believe whatever they want, and that's fair and good. And actually, Christians respond to that by agreeing and saying, yes, obviously, Americans can believe whatever they want. Therefore, I'm not going to tell them that what they believe is actually the path of destruction. I'm not going to do that because that's their autonomy, and I want to be fair, and almost to a point that we believe that fairness is important, equality is important, autonomy is important. But unfortunately, God doesn't necessarily care about autonomy, and God doesn't necessarily care about actually equality. He cares about worship. God's way is higher than American ideals, and actually what is right is far more important than what is fair. What is right is far more important than autonomy, and what is right is actually far better than equality. How should Americans, we as Americans, respond to this passage? 
Jesus is saying here in the first few verses that we need to enter into God's kingdom through himself, that through Christ to enter into God's kingdom. That brings in two current and present realities that are true then, that are also true now, that the kingdom of God is actually here. You don't have to go looking for it. It's here. And that judgment is coming to those who are not in Christ's kingdom. That really goes against all the American ideals, doesn't it? It's saying there's one way to salvation, and there's only one way. And other ways are actually not equal, nor are they necessarily, if you do go down those paths, does that mean that if you are, when you die and, God, and you're before the Lord, he goes, but I believed in this, I believed in Islam, or I believed in Hinduism, or I believed in secularism and that there is no, I believed it with all my heart and I was, and I was, I was, and I was consistent with it. And God's going to say, well, you didn't believe in me. He's going to lead you to judgment. Why should someone be punished for believing something different? How is that fair? How is that equal treatment for all? What about my own belief? Don't I have autonomy? And the response that we should respond to the truth that the kingdom of God is here with us. It's right here. It's present. Do what God bids you to do. Obey the invitation of grace. Flee to Christ and be saved. That is the response to the two realities of that the kingdom of God is here and that judgment is coming to those who are not in Christ's kingdom. Those are true current realities. Those are true facts you can't dispute. And the response is, bid what God says, accept his invitation of grace, and flee to Christ and be saved. So here's the main point. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to really kind of get your attention, I suppose. Hey, friends, the kingdom of God is here. Hey. Friends, judgment is coming. Hurry and enter. What are you waiting for? Let me say it one more time. Hey, friends, the kingdom of God is here. Hey, friends, judgment is coming. Hurry and enter. What are you waiting for? The Pharisees come to Jesus in verse 20 of 17. So the, kind of the, main, the, the first sub-point is that some, the same, that same Jesus is the door to the kingdom of God then and now. So the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him when the kingdom of God is going to come. And he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. They're curious about when the kingdom is going to come based off Jesus' opinion on this, this question and thought. And probably one of those questions that the Pharisees probably over dinner or over coffee, whatever they drink, uh, would always talk about, hey, when's the, God, when's the kingdom of God going to come? When is God going to send his Messiah? When is he going to rid us of these empires that keep on dominating and conquering us? When will God zap them? Right? That's probably what they were talking about and, and discussing and and looking at the world around them, trying to guess when God was going to send his Messiah, when his kingdom was going to come. So they think, oh, Jesus claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be uh, a man of God, a holy man. So we'll ask him what his thoughts are about the kingdom of God. Of course, the, the Pharisees didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But there were many people in Israel at that time that were hopeful that Jesus 
was actually the Messiah and that actually Jesus was going to usher in his kingdom physically. Hence why when he comes in Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, there's a parade, right? I mean, there's a parade. We like to call it, we like to call it the triumphal entry, which is what the Bible claims it to be, but it's like a parade, right? Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem and they celebrate. Why? Because they believe he's the king. They believe he's the Messiah, and they're hopeful that he will conquer the Roman Empire and usher in freedom and justice, right? What most in the, in, in the United States currently want is freedom and justice. The same people in Israel at the, in the first century wanted the same thing because they were oppressed by the Roman Empire, and they wanted freedom from that oppression. They thought Jesus was going to be the one to usher in this freedom, to establish God's earthly kingdom. That was the expectations. They wanted a Mount Carmel moment. If you remember the story about Elijah and Mount Carmel, right, when the fire came from the sky and, and, and then basically destroyed the animal that was on the wood, right, and then all the priests, the, the evil priests, were, right, they were killed. That's what really what Israel wanted. They wanted a Mount Carmel moment. They wanted fire to come from the sky and just destroy all the soldiers from Rome. They didn't get the Mount Carmel moment, did they? They got a they got a, a carpenter's son from Nazareth who was born in a manger. Not exactly what they had in mind, nor what they expected. What they got was the manger. What they got was a man from Galilee, not even from Jerusalem. A man who was a carpenter's son. A man who was hanging out with tax collectors, smelly fishermen, and losers and prostitutes. That's not exactly what they had in mind. That's not exactly who they thought would be the Messiah who would bring in God's kingdom. It's not what they had in mind. In the Pharisees' eyes, Jesus was a joke. I mean, he was a joke. He was not a savior. He was not a king. He was a joke, right? That's why they always mocked him. If they thought he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, they would not mock him the way that they mocked at him, right? Instead, they, would, they thought he was a joke. There's no way that this man from Galilee who hangs out with these people who was born in a manger could possibly be the son of God. There's no way. This guy could possibly be God's Messiah, who would usher in God's kingdom. So Jesus answers their joke, their mocking, their questions to him, and he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. You can't say, look, there it is, or look, here it is. Jesus is talking about the nature of the kingdom of God. It's absent of signs. It's hidden from the naked eye. The Jews would always think that the, maybe the Messiah would come on the Passover, right? The night of observations. And maybe this is, maybe this is when God rescued our, our forefathers and our, 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 our first generation of Jews from Egypt, right? Was on the Passover. So maybe God will send his Messiah on the Passover. There's no scientific observations to find the kingdom of God. There's no political observation. Oh, those two people are warring against each other. That may be when the Messiah will come. There's no entrails of animals that they, you know, the Romans would read the entrails of animals. They would cut open animals and look at the different organs and say, oh, yes, that's just, see, this is going to happen. Or we should go to war with these people because the animals tell us we'll have victory. There's no animal entrails that are going to tell you when the kingdom of God is coming. There's no configuration of the stars. There's no astrology that's going to tell you when the kingdom of God is here. That's what Jesus is saying here. So the, the, the Pharisees and the people are like, well, what are the signs? What should we be looking for, Jesus? We, don't want, to, we want to make sure we don't miss it when it comes. 
We don't want to get left behind. We don't want the kingdom of God to come and then go, go, and then we totally missed it. There's a, there's a story. I may have told this story before, but uh, I think it's a pretty funny story. Uh, when me and my father went to Russia, I was, in, I was 16 years old. First time I'd ever been out of the country. Went to the former Soviet Union, right? Uh, this was year 2000. This was the year when Vladimir Putin came to power. It was the first time I went to Russia. And uh, so me and my father, we went to Russia. We were in Moscow. We're in this massive mall. And my father, we were, we were eating at a food court. My father went to the restroom, and we all got up and left. We just left him. And like, I didn't, think, I didn't even know he went to the restroom. And we had about, I don't know, I can't remember how many people we had with, maybe like 12 or 15 people were with us. There were a few Russians with us. We kind of were, oh, we're done eating. We walked away. We started walking down the street to get on a, get in a subway or whatever to go back to where we were staying. And my father doesn't speak Russian. My father has no, had no idea where we were, we were staying. He wouldn't even be able to tell a taxi driver where he was staying. We left him behind. And so it, he would tell, when we finally, I got to realize while we were walking down the street outside the mall that my father wasn't with us. And I said, hey, my father's not with us. And we, me and someone else went back, and I think it was a Russian, went back, found him, and then got in a taxi and went to where we were staying. But my father was telling me that when he came out, he had extreme fear. Because again, he's in Russia, doesn't speak Russian, and has no idea where he's staying. That is not a good, uh, there's not a good variables in this formula. And, and so he has this extreme fear, like, what am I going to do, right? That, that helps me think about people in this particular century, and they're asking Jesus when the kingdom of God's going to come, because they don't want to get left behind. It's like if they were in, in Egypt, and everybody had left and moved out, but you were somehow totally missed God's rescue of his entire people. I don't want to be left behind. I want, to make, I want to make it into the kingdom of God. And Jesus answers and says, I know that you're concerned about this. I know you're concerned about not missing the kingdom of God. You want to, make, you want to know when it's coming. I'm telling you, you can't read it from the stars. and You can't read it in the ways that people think they can read it. He says, actually, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He said, behold. Anytime you see a behold, it's an exclamation point. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. What does he mean by that? What does he mean the kingdom of God is in the midst of you or among you? It's invisible to the spiritual blind. If, if, if the Pharisees are asking where the kingdom, when the kingdom is coming, and they don't acknowledge that it's actually already in their midst, they do not even understand this concept that the kingdom of God is already here. They think it's supposed to be ushered in in this remarkable destruction of God's enemies. And instead, Jesus is saying, actually, it's right in front of you. It's right here. It's present right now. Jesus says in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Pharisees didn't love Jesus. They thought it was a joke. Those who did love Jesus, like the disciples, acknowledged that he was the Son of God and that God's kingdom was in front of them in Christ. What does that mean here to us? I said earlier that the kingdom of God was current then and it also is current now. It's in your midst. You will see it by hearing it and believing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. 
The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that salvation from your moral failures, we all have them, is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by his death on the cross. When you hear that truth, when you hear that statement that the gospel of Jesus Christ saves you from your moral failures, the kingdom of God is in your midst. You're hearing it. It's right in front of you. Do you love Christ? Will you obey his word? And as Jesus says here in John 14, make his home. He will make his home with us if you trust and believe the gospel. The presence of the kingdom of God the, is the, and when you see that here, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church is the carriers of the gospel. That's why we should shout to everyone the path of salvation is through the cross of Christ and be saved. When you hear that announcement, pay attention because the kingdom of God is actually in your midst. But do you even have the ears to hear it? Do you even have the eyes to see it? Or are you completely dead towards it? The Pharisees were dead. They hear the gospel, they heard it, they heard Christ's proclamation of the kingdom of God, and they were completely deaf to it. Why? Because they didn't love Christ. Even in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, we see um, this put on display. Acts 8, 12. This is um, when the apostles... Um, uh, verse, but when they believe, let me read verse nine. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least into the greatest, saying, "The man is the power of God that is called great." They paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. The kingdom of God was in the midst of Simon, and the gospel was preached, and he believed it and trusted, and he entered into the kingdom of God. The righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That does not mean that you have to be sinless and perfect to enter the kingdom of God. That was the Pharisees' belief. The truth is, is that when we hear the gospel, when we trust and believe it, we are made righteous, and we are declared righteous by God, and we enter into God's kingdom. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. I love this passage. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God, has, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in his flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. How do we enter the kingdom of God? Trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Heeding the warning of judgment to come and fleeing from that judgment by trusting and believing in Christ. When you hear that truth, the kingdom of God is in your midst right now. Enter right now. Like, don't wait. Obey God's bidding. and Accept his invitation of grace and flee to Christ and be saved. The second point is that the Son of Man is coming to finalize his kingdom. To finalize it. Going back to Luke 17. 
verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Basically, Jesus transitions. He's no longer talking to the Pharisees. He's now just talking to the disciples. He said, there will be a time when you'll desire and long for me. You'll desire for the days of the Son of Man. And, of course, they don't understand what Jesus is talking about. They have no concept that Jesus is going to die, be taken from them, and ascend to heaven. Again, they're, they're hoping that God, Christ Jesus, will establish his kingdom right there. But that's obviously not what happens he says, you will desire the days of the Son of Man. And let me tell you, when the, when the Son of Man comes, the day of the Son of Man, you will totally notice. Lightning flashing lights up the sky from one side to the other. The day of the Lord will be very real. It will not be hidden. It will not be a whisper of his coming. Not a silent night in a manger in Bethlehem. He will come and you will definitely notice. The world will notice when Christ returns. Judgment will come when Christ returns. That's what Jesus is setting up. He's going to talk about his second coming and his judgment that will come. But first, something must happen. In verse 25, the Son of Jesus is initiate, initiates his kingdom through his death. He initiates his kingdom for his death. He says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation this is God's plan of salvation to the world, is that Christ Jesus will be handed over to a Herod and to Pontius Pilate, and he will be crucified. This is a part of God's plan of salvation. He will be rejected. He will suffer. He will raise from the dead. And then what will he do? So fascinating about the story of Jesus is that he raises from the dead. He has all the power in the world. And instead of going on top of the temple and saying, hello, here I am. He doesn't do that at all, does he? He actually doesn't even talk to anyone but his disciples for 40 days, then he sends into heaven. He ends his ministry on earth. He leaves his apostles and he leaves the, 100, uh, uh, the, the church, that, uh, the 120 people who made up the church that we see in Acts chapter 1. He leaves them. Then he sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. His church is then hated by the world. He told them that the world was going to hate them and that they will suffer for his namesake. And because that he dies, he suffers, he then raises from the dead, he then sends into heaven, his ministry ends on earth, his, then his church takes the mantle and then proceeds to expand his, who he is to the world and proclaim his gospel to the world. They will do what? They will long for the days when he was with them. They will long for those days. We will proclaim, give us justice. We will be like the church in Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. Come back, Lord Jesus. Come back, please. Come back. So interesting about us as Christians in the 21st century, we've never physically met Jesus, have we? We've met him spiritually. We've not actually met Jesus face to face, yet we believe in him. But also we want him to come back. We long for him to return. The, fair, the disciples felt that way, at least they met him. They wanted him to come back. But we also want the Lord Jesus to come back. 
We long for Christ to return. Because a lot of our brothers and sisters are brutally, brutally murdered and killed currently today. This isn't some first century reality. This is true today. There are more Christians killed in the 21st century, in the 20th century, than they did in the first century. We have Christians that are brutally killed and crushed. Don't you think they long for Jesus to return? Shouldn't we also pray that and long that Jesus would return to give them justice? Longing for his return. We long for his return. Uh, Verse 26 through 33, you see that the same Jesus will reveal your true self. So in the midst of this time before Jesus returns, we long for him to return. And Jesus says, hey, don't, don't be looking for my return with these people saying, oh, it's over here, it's over there. That's, you will know when I come back. It'll be lightning and flashes in the sky. It'll be a boom. It'll be a moment. You'll, you'll definitely notice. The world will notice. He says, my return will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. My day when I return will be like that day. People will be casual. They will go about their lives, eating, drinking, marrying, celebrating, buying, selling, building. They'll be about the busyness of life, but they'll ignore the weightier issues, the weightier matters of the world. The weightier, the, they will ignore the weightier matters of the heart. And then the suddenness of judgment will come. That's why Jesus, he, he, he's talked about how sudden it will be. It'll be like the people in the Noah's day who they had never even seen it rain before. And Noah and his family will be in the ark and all of a sudden the water will come and they will all be wiped out. Similar thing with Lot. They'd never seen fire come from the sky and all of a sudden it just happened. It was sudden, unexpected. They were going about their day. They were going about their lives ignoring the, the existence of God and the reality of their soul. And the heart is actually revealed. What is important to you? What is actually important in your life? What is actually important? And when, it, when, we, when we hear the warning of judgment, what do we do? Jesus says it's like, a, it's like someone who is on top of their house. And when they run down the stairs, they don't go back in their homes to gather their things. They flee. The houses in that day were flat, and they had staircases not inside the house, but outside the house. So you would walk from your roof down the steps into your house. So if you're not, if that doesn't really go well with you, think about your house or where you live, and say you had a front porch and you had a rocking chair, right? You're sitting in your rocking chair, you're looking out to the world, and all of a sudden you see judgment coming, and instead of running to safety, you run into your home and you gather all your treasures. There's a movie with Steve Martin called The Jerk. You don't know if you've seen this movie. There's a scene where he like loses all his money and he like, takes all these like random things with him. And he says, this is all I need is my rocking chair and my, my lamp. And he's just kind of carrying these things out. Taking unnecessary things. Another way to think through this is like, you know in every alien invasion movie? Like all of them. When they see the aliens coming, there's always a traffic jam, right? When people are trying to get out of town. Here's, here's my thinking. It's like, instead of putting stuff in your car and putting stuff on top of your car and getting out of town, just get out of town, right? Why are you bringing the couch? Why are you bringing things with you? Just get out of town. The alien spaceship's above your head. It's going to destroy you. Why do you care about what you bring? What ends up happening in all these movies? All these people die in the traffic jam. Because they didn't get out of town. 
They were too busy getting all their things and putting it in their, in their homes. The focus is preserving some lifestyle or whatever they, they think that they need to bring with them as they flee away from this coming doom. What is the focus of your life when judgment is heralded and when it's coming? Are you busy with your life? Are you trying to persevere and trying to uh, persevere your standing in the world? Are you ignoring the way your issues? And when you ignore the way your issues, you, all you care about is gaining and all your treasures, then the, the, the doom comes and then you are destroyed. Instead of just running to safety, instead of saying, what must I do to be saved? Instead of letting go of the world, you, instead of you're abandoning the pursuits of, of persevering your standing in the world, you just go to Jesus and you're delivered. I think that's probably most of the Americans. It's not necessarily that they don't believe in God. I think most Americans believe in God at statistics. So if you're not a Christian in this room, you probably believe in God, or why would you be here? I think the problem with most Americans, they think they actually are worshipers of God when actually their hearts are revealed. When I say there's judgment coming, you're like, no, it's not. God will never judge me. And all you care about is the persevering of your life. All you care about is your treasures. All you care about is building your treasures, and you ignore the way to your matters of life. And that actually reveals your heart, that you truly do not love Jesus, and you truly are not a part of his kingdom, and judgment is actually coming upon you. Ignore, abandon the pursuits of the world. Abandon them. You're like a guy when judgment's coming and you're, all you're concerned about is running into your home and gathering all your treasures. And by the time you're done, death is already at your doorstep. Judgment is already at your doorstep. That same Jesus will also deliver, divide some to deliverance and others to judgment. He even continues here that some, uh, there'll be two people in the same bed. One will be taken and the other left. Some will unfortunately run into the burning home and attempt to preserve all his treasures, ignore the warning of judgment. They will reject or ignore the invitation of deliverance. And the consequence is actually division. I think what's talking about here, he doesn't use the language, but it's talking about a married couple. It's a husband and a wife. One goes to deliverance, the other to judgment. The wife pleading with her husband to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he refuses. He went to church with her from time to time to appease her, but he never listened. The king of God was in his very midst, but he refused to heed and to enter it. He cared more about money, promotions, work, his 401k, golf, and the cults. He was preserving his life. He cared so much about what he gained and his treasures he would hear the gospel over and over and over again, and he was ignorant of it because he didn't care. He didn't love Jesus. He ignored the weightier matters of life. All he cared about was preserving his life. He wouldn't let go. And then he dies. He has a heart attack, whatever. And judgment awaits him. While the wife prayed for her husband, she was faithful to Christ and was delivered by Christ. Proximity has no saving power whatsoever. 
Just because your wife is a believer and you are just go to church with her, it has no bearing whatsoever on if you're delivered or if you're judged. It has no power. Proximity has no power. Children, if you are a child, your parents' faith has no saving power in your life. If you're relying on your, your parents' salvation, you will be judged by God. Because why? Because you never loved Christ. That is just the truth of the matter. And if you're a parent in here, do not think that you can save your kids. You can't. They have to trust in Christ. It's in their midst, right? They see it every day in your life. They hear it every day when you shoot family of devotions with them. And they must believe. They must believe. The last point is this. That same Jesus will rightly judge those who are not in his kingdom. He will rightly judge those who are not in his kingdom. You may not think it's fair that some are delivered and others judged because they believe different ideas. They have different faiths. You may think it's unfair. And you can have that opinion all you want. But Christ Jesus will rightly, rightly judge those who are not in his kingdom. And here's why it's rightly. Because it's his world. And you're his creatures. Regardless if you want to believe it or not, you did not create the world, you didn't create yourself, right? You didn't do it. You are created by, by, by God and for his purpose. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. You are not autonomous. You cannot determine what is right and wrong for yourself? Only God declares what is right. So when you, when you rebel against your creator, when you rebel against him, he is right to judge you. He is right. You can fight it all you want. You can say it's unfair, but it is right because why? Because God created you and he is the master of your life. When people say, well, I make Jesus Lord. No, no, he is Lord. He created. I'm telling you, he is Lord. And you will either recognize him as Lord and Savior, or you will recognize him as Lord and Judge. That's just the reality of it. You belong to God. The only way to be united with God and delivered is through Jesus Christ. There is no other name given under heaven, uh, given, in he- uh, given by heaven for why, why. There's no other name given by God for salvation but Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other truth. There's no other life. But Jesus Christ. The Lord has spoken. This is the way to salvation. The disciples in asking Jesus this question, where, Lord? And he gives this really odd answer, doesn't he? 37. He says to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is a very confusing passage. It's a very confusing verse. But I think what Jesus is continuing here is to, is to explain the double meaning here. That for those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, God will be like a vulture and you a dead corpse. But to those who believe in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus will be an eagle and you will be a body which is gathered unto him. The question is, is how do I know where I'm going? Will I go to judgment or will I go to deliverance? And the answer is the same answer I gave earlier. Do what God bids you. Obey the invitation of his grace. Flee to Christ and be saved. That was a quote 
that was an encouragement by a, a pastor named Spencer uh, Ichabod. There was a man, there was a, bo- there was a man, there was a young man who didn't know if he was predestined to salvation. So he came to uh, Pastor Ichabod and said, how do I know I'm saved? And Spencer Ichabod said, do what God bids you. Obey the invitation of grace. Flee to Christ and be saved. It's the same answer I would give to you. How do I know I'm saved? Obey the invitation. Flee to Christ. Be saved. Here is your invitation. Come now. Like, here's your invitation. I don't care how old you are. Here's your invitation. Here's your invitation. The kingdom of God is right here in front of your face. Your ears are open to what I'm about to say. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe and trust in him and be delivered. Be delivered. I want to conclude with this. There's a a book by W. Oscar Thompson, which is an evangelism book written years and years ago. And he talks about the concentric circles of concern. And he argues that primarily the way the gospel goes forth in the world is through relationships. And he talks about these concentric circles. And he says, we're so often concerned about evangelizing person X, the stranger, when there's people in our lives that we have relationships that need the gospel. And we do, we're so concerned about person X that we ignore the people in our lives that we love. He starts with self, but then he goes to family, and then relatives, and then friends, and associates, and acquaintances, and then the person of X, a stranger. And he reveals, like, even throughout Scripture, when did Peter become a follower of God, Christ? Because his brother Andrew brought him to Jesus. What about Philip? Well, he brought his friend Nathaniel to Jesus. What about the woman at the well? She went into the city and told her neighbors about Jesus. The spread of the gospel have primarily gone through relationships. So there's people in our lives that we need to tell this to people. We need to plead with them. Flee the city of destruction. Enter through Christ. Into the kingdom of God and be delivered. There is no deliverance through good works. There is no deliverance through wealth. There is no deliverance through significance. There is no deliverance through the respect of others. There's only deliverance through Jesus Christ. There are people in your lives that need to hear that, that are looking for the kingdom of God when it's right in their faces because you are a Christian and you should share the gospel with them and heed them to flee the city of destruction and be delivered in Christ. We're so worried about person X that we're totally ignoring the people that we love. We're not sharing the gospel with them. We're not pleading with them. I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this message of deliverance. What do I do? Where am I going to go? And you say to them, bid what Jesus commands. Bid what Jesus tells you. He gives you an invitation of grace. Flee to Christ Jesus and be saved. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I, I, this is a very challenging passage, but Lord, because it, 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 it affects kind of our American ideals. We want to live in a world, Lord, where there's fairness and equality and autonomy, Lord. And people kind of do their own thing and go their own ways and go their own paths. And we don't really want to intrude, Lord, 
what other people are doing, what other people are thinking. But Lord, you will rightly judge those who are not a part of your kingdom. People that are actually, that we love very much. People that we care about very much. But yet we don't tell them about Christ. We don't tell them about your son. We don't tell them about your offer of grace, Lord, because we just, ah, this doesn't go well with our ideals. We want people to be treated fairly. We want people to be autonomous over themselves. And we care about fairness. We don't really care very much about your way and your rightly uh, stated uh, truth, Lord, that if you do not accept and believe in Jesus Christ, you will be judged. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would impress upon us, Lord, the need to share with others the gospel, to present your kingdom in front of them, Lord, and Lord, that you would open their hearts to believe and trust. If there's anyone in this room, Lord, who have heard the gospel over and over and over again, but have not expressed faith, they have not trusted in you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would get them out of their seat, and they would go find the person that they trust and talk to them right now, not later, not after the service, not tomorrow, but do it right now and ask, how do I, how can I be saved? How can I be delivered? Lord, I pray that you would do that. Lord, show yourself to them. Lord, save them. We pray that you would do that in the people in this room and the people in our lives, Lord, that you would use us to be heralds of your gospel and that people would come to know you. Lord, we praise you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen.